Hello, and welcome to Faith So Simple, the podcast that explores the Christian faith, transforming the difficult, complex, and downright nerdy into simple, straightforward terms that any average Joe can follow. I'm your host, Joe Staines, and if you're like me, an average Joe, then I invite you to come along as we dive into scripture, history, theology, and many other disciplines to discover the truth of God's Word. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. In this episode, instead of doing another study, I thought I'd share a sermon from earlier this year, from Father's Day, from my church. And this sermon is titled, God's Provision. And it ties together many of the topics that we've discussed in the previous four episodes. But if you have any questions about any of the content so far, or would simply like to reach out, please email us at faithsosimple at gmail.com. That's faithsosimple at gmail.com, and we'll do our best to get back to you. We might even feature your question on one of the episodes. But first, let's do a quick recap of the nerd words we've learned so far. Well, we didn't want to let a week go by without at least addressing the nerd words. We'll just do a quick lightning round recap of the nerd words that we've had before. That was my lightning noises. I like it. And we'll see if, we'll see how well our, our memories are. Our memories. Well, I've got it written down just in case. (laughs) Your memory. All right, so are you ready? Lightning round. First thing that comes into mind. Oh, no. Whether it's right or wrong. Oh, no. Just whatever you think. All right. Okay, are Are you you ready? Okay. Are you you ready? No, but yes. Okay, first word is exegesis. Uh, Autopsy of the text. That was what you said before. Uh, Yes. I'll take it. I'll take it. Looking at what the words meant originally. Yeah, that's right. That's it. Yeah, correct. Hermeneutics. It's looking at what the original word was in the original uh, language. Mm, originally. That was exegesis. Ah, sorry. What they meant to say originally is the same mm, as exegesis. It's very similar. Exegesis helps hermeneutics. That's right. It's, but what is it? It's interpreting the original meaning of the text is and explaining it to others said? and explaining it to others. Uh, which was that Hermen- Hermes? But that's he was not going between the two people. That's right. Like, yeah. 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 Is that why the post people are called Hermes? Yeah, probably, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Sorry, side note. Next one, ontology. It's so fast. Um, medical. I've gone medical again. Ontology. Uh, my mother's lap. Nope. Wrong. It is. Well, um, yeah, we talked about your mother's lap. That's right. Yeah, so I'm just re- recapping my brain. Oh, I, I thought you were saying, saying that it. was the definition. I know, it doesn't mean that. I'm just remembering the episode, Joe. Oh, my God. Uh, mother's lap do legs exist do people exist things existing the existence of things that's right something is yeah 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 the the explanation of the existence of things Uh, three for three so far excellent yeah and theodicy I know this one that God is good in a bad world yeah the Uh, what I said was the defense or explanation of God's goodness despite the reality of evil. But what you said is Sorry, correct. Sorry, say that again? <laughs> what? The defense or explanation of God's goodness despite the reality of evil. How much have you practiced that? Because that is not a normal human sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody talks like that, Joe. Maybe they do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, but I didn't think it was fair that really it's me that every week gets put on the spot. Okay. And so <laughs> I've prepared a little something yeah. just a miniature just to make you have to use your okay. brain a little bit okay. and maybe you'll know all of these so it'll completely blow up in my <laughs> face but anyway so for those of you that don't know I love baking and all things baking and 
bread making, pastry, all that kind of stuff. General baking, love it. So I thought I would test you with some common baking terms and get you to tell me or to define what they mean. Got it. So your first one is, what is a bain-marie? A bain-marie. And it's spelt, if that helps, yeah. B-A-I-N okay. dash M-A-R-I-E. A bain-marie. A bain-marie. Yep. The bane of pastries. <laughs> It's the hardest pastry to make. It's a bain marie. Oh, nobody likes to make a bain marie. No, it's not. It's a like a water bath. So if you're like melting chocolate in a bowl, so you know if you put a bowl on top of like a pan with water okay. underneath and melt it slowly, it's like a water bath basically. Oh. I'm no nonsense now, Joe. <laughs> all right, all right. This is my territory. <laughs> no more Miriam Webster for you. Okay. <laughs> What is a baker's dozen? And for a bonus point, can you tell me why or how that started? So I don't know why or how it started, but yeah. I can tell you that a baker's dozen is 13. Yes. Um, I only learned this just now when I was looking it up. But it began in medieval England. There were laws that related to like the price of bread and how much things cost and all that kind of okay. thing. And bakers who were found to be like cheating uh, their customers by like overpricing stuff or giving like undersized loaves were subject to strict punishments like floggings and beatings and stuff harsh yeah well and like even so like when you're a baker when you make something not everything always turns out the same so i could make you 12 loaves of bread mm. um but one of them might be a bit smaller than the other and if someone reported you to the police you would be like flogged and whatever anyway so what they used to do is just add in an extra loaf just to kind of cover over so they wouldn't get beaten in the streets mm, excellent hence a baker's dozen nice yeah interesting mm. okay your next word is auto lease Autolise. So it's all one word. Okay. A-U-T-O-L-Y-S-E. Autolise. The only thing I can think of yeah. is cars. No, remember it's to do with baking. Uh, what's the word again? Autolise. Autolise. It's part of a process of doing something. Okay. I mean, yeah. It's something that you do mm. as you're baking. Yes. That what am I baking? Creates a self-sustaining automatic <laughs> process of the release of gas in the uh, pastry. Got it. So close. Nailed but it. No, no. no. Oh. It's actually, when you're making bread, is part of like the the first part of it. It's hydrating your flour. So it really oh. is just mixing your flour with water and then leaving it for like half an hour. Huh. And it's amazing because your dough goes from being all like dry and weird to being like, oh, this is nice. And then you add in your yeast and salt and all the other stuff that makes Mm. bread. Mm. Anyway, well done. You didn't do terribly. I got one. Yeah, nice. Mm. Good. You should do something like that more often. Put me on the spot. I will. It's just difficult to find things that you don't know anything about. I know nothing about baking. Yeah, I know. That's why I went went baking. But yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, nice. I thought we did. I hope you enjoyed your little quiz there, Joe. What's it feel like to be in my shoes? Oh, so stressful. Terrifying. Huh? It really is terrifying. It's it's I see you my, breaking out in a sweat there. I am, and my brain completely shuts down. Yes! Completely. Welcome to my world. Whenever you tell me anything. <laughs> anything. <laughs> well, thanks for the little quiz, my love, and we will see you again next time. You are so welcome. I will be back with a vengeance. Mm-hmm.
So, here we are again. Sunday morning, we've had quite a few guest speakers over the last few weeks. Uh, but that has come to an end, and this week you've got me. I'll be honest, I'm very happy with that response. That, that went better than I expected. Even King's smiling. Oh, look what's going on. Wow, it's amazing. Um, well, you know what? I had a <coughs> excuse me. I had a sermon ready for today, or, or I was partway through preparing for a sermon. I'd listened to seven hours worth of podcasts from this particular subject that I wanted to talk about, and I'd made a load of notes, and then I lost it all. <laughs> I lost it, and it was Wednesday this week. I saw Sam this week, and I told you, didn't I? I just saw him when I just lost it, and I found the file eventually. And it was corrupted, and we tried all sorts of things to try and get it back. Couldn't get it back. The whole thing gone. So, I bought a sermon off Sam, which I'm going <laughs> to try and preach it. So, if today this sermon is great, then you can thank Sam. But if it's rubbish, it's all his fault, right? It's all his fault. But you know what? Seriously, when things like that happen, it's obviously, it's a little bit disappointing and frustrating at the time. But I believe all things happen for a reason. I'm like, all right, that's not the direction God wanted me to go in this week. So what I have got for you today, I believe, is what God wanted me to say today. And this is for someone or for all of you, I don't know. And then Joe, when he was praying, started talking about man and woman and made in God's image, which is part of what I'm saying today. So that was confirmation for me that I think I'm on track this morning. So I think you should listen because God has got something to say to some of you this morning. And I know I've said it many times before, but how many times do you sit there going, oh, I wish so-and-so was here. They should be hearing this. This is for them. I would just ask you this morning, have your heart open. Have your minds open. Just say, God, what do you want to say to me this morning? To me, not to the person next to me or the person that isn't here. But what do you want to say to me? So the title I've given this is God's Provision. God's Provision, which straight away is like, yeah, that's good. I like it. God's Provision. I want a bit of that in my life. But I just want to be clear, this is not a prosperity message. I'm not going to be talking to you about how to pray correctly to get your next Ferrari. Next Ferrari? Your first Ferrari. Anyone already got one? Yeah. I'm not going to be talking about how you give correctly to make sure you end up in a mansion. I'm not going to touch on any of those things because I don't see those things biblically. Um, but I am going to show us that God has always been our provider, is our provider, and always will be our provider. That's not saying you'll never go hungry. That doesn't mean you'll never struggle. That doesn't mean you'll never get sick. But even in those times, hopefully what we can unfold today is to see that he still provided more than we could ever want because he is an incredible God. He is the perfect father. So it's Father's Day today. and Whatever your image of a father is, some of us have got good fathers, some of us haven't got fathers, some of us have got bad ones. Forget all that because all of us, every man, is imperfect but we are talking about our father God who is the perfect father and gets it right every time and that's who we're talking about today so I want to go to Genesis first of all so if you've got your Bible go to Genesis chapter 22 and we're going to we're going to look quite a bit in Genesis this morning then we're going to skip to Revelation as well. So Genesis 22 I'm going to read verses 2 and 3 and then 9 to 14. This is an account we are probably all very familiar with. 
So Genesis 22, 2 and 3. Then he said, this is God said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of God had told him and then down to verse 9 then God came to the place which God had told him and Abraham built an altar there placed the wood in order he bound Isaac his son and he laid him on the altar upon the wood and Abraham stretched out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said Abraham Abraham so he said here I am and he said Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. And since you have not withheld your son from me, your only son from me, then Abraham lifted his eyes. He looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went, took the ram, offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, as it is. To this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So, what, what's the point of this story? It's this, this account in Scripture that happened. This really happened. And it's one of those accounts that you can struggle with it a little bit, can't you? You can go, why would God make Abraham do that? That's a terrible thing. I thought God loved all people, whatever age you were. Why would he ask a dad to sacrifice his son? But you know what? You've got to remember, this is a time, let's contextualize this. This is a time when there were other religions and there were other so-called gods around that would require of their followers human sacrifice. So to us, we read this and it's huge. It's like, this is a massive deal. But to Abraham, that would have been like, this happens. I hear of this happening in other places all the time. I thought my God was different. I thought Yahweh was not going to ask that of me. Oh well, maybe he's not quite as different from the other gods that I thought. So it wasn't, obviously still a big deal, it's his son, but not as a big deal as it would be to us now in this culture today. So then God says to him, hold on, Don't do it. So what's the point of this story? Was it just God showing Abraham and consequently showing us that he was different to the other so-called gods of the time? And maybe there was a little bit of that in it, but there's so much more to it that's easy to just skip over and if you don't understand the context or know what's going on and it just be another account or another story. You know what? I can't imagine what Abraham went through. I really can't imagine it. And if I think about it long enough, actually, it's, it's quite upsetting. And I think about if God asked me to do that to my son, what would it take for me to say, yeah, yeah, all right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sacrifice Freddie. I'm going to go for it. Would I do it? It's not funny. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Uh, but what would it take for me to do that? Would I do it if it was going to save 100 lives? No, not on your Nelly. Would I do it if it was going to save a thousand lives? No. Would I do it if it was going to save humanity? I still don't think I could sacrifice my own son. So when you start to think about it like that, it's like, oh wow, this story is huge. This is a really big deal. So this account, can I be honest with you, it makes me uncomfortable. Does it make anyone else uncomfortable? It does, doesn't it? It makes you uncomfortable when you read it. But you know what? 
That's the point. It's supposed to make us uncomfortable. It's supposed to help us to understand the heartache that somebody would be in in that situation. It helps us to understand the emotion, the disturbingness, if that's such a word, the disturbingness of it, if you were involved in a situation like that. And then we read it and then we think, but God's supposed to be a loving father and it's Father's Day. How could a father do this? But you know what? These are the ex- this is what God wants us to experience as we read this passage. That we should experience these emotions. That we should ask these questions of, how can a father do that? And when we consider that God didn't withhold his son from us. He didn't withhold. So all those emotions that I go through when I think about, could I do this to my own son? And I come to the conclusion that, no, I couldn't do it. God did it. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves me. That's what an incredible father he is, that he would do something that is that that hard to do, and he would do that for you, and he would do that for me. And we're going to circle back to that in a little bit. So the first provision that I'm going to talk about, like I said, this is called God's provision, is this ram. So Abraham was provided for by God with a ram. And again, that's one of those things that we can just skip over and go, why is a ram significant? I don't know. Why wasn't it a sheep or a lamb like normal? No idea. Just keep reading. Because we know, don't we, that when it came to the Passover, what was it that God required us to sacrifice? A lamb, not a ram, but a lamb. So why did he provide a lamb at this point? And even in verse 7 of that chapter, Isaac turns to his dad and says, you've got the fire, you've, you've got the wood, you've got everything here, but where's the lamb? I don't see a lamb. So even he was expecting a lamb to be sacrificed, not a ram. Well, listen to this. Young sheep are called lambs. I think we all know that, don't we? An adult female sheep is called a ewe, E-W-E. A castrated male adult sheep is called a wether, W-E-T-H-E-R, a wether. But a non-castrated male sheep is a ram. Now that's an adult male sheep that is whole, that is intact. That is an unblemished male. That's what a ram is. So this is a foreshadow of Jesus being provided as a substitute for us. Like the ram provided by God for Abraham, Jesus was our sacrifice. A ram is an adult, perfect sheep without blemish. Jesus was an adult, perfect male without blemish. Basically sinless So you can see that it all starts to tie together when you look at the bigger picture. And you know, Mount Moriah is where God specifically told Moses, not Moses, what's his name? Abraham, thank you. It was a test, see if you were listening. Well done, whoever that was. God specifically told Abraham, go to Mount Moriah. Now this was in the south part of Palestine, and it later changed its name. And this became Jerusalem, or Mount Zion. This is where this was. Now there's a point to this. Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice here, at the place that was Mount Zion. 2,000 years later, this was the same place where Jesus was sacrificed by God for you 
and for me. So when we read these accounts, I don't like to call them stories because it makes them sound fictional, but they're not, they're real. So when we read these accounts in the Old Testament and we read the place and what happened and it was around, there's always more of a point than we realize than just an account. There's something else that we are supposed to find. So Jesus was sacrificed at this same point 2,000 years later. But this time, unlike the account here with Abraham where the angel of the Lord appeared and said, Stop! Don't do it! That didn't happen. God went through with it. Fulfilling the promise that was symbolized through Abraham's testing. Did you hear that? Fulfilling the promise that was symbolized through Abraham's testing. God told Abraham that he would provide the sacrifice. And he did. He provided a ram at that time. But that was a symbol for the ultimate sacrifice that he would make. The perfect act of provision for you. The perfect act of provision for me. If you just get your head round this... It's life-changing. It's incredible that God made provision for you and for me. And it was all planned, even back in Genesis. He knew back then with these foreshadows of Jesus, he knew that today, sat here, Andrew, there's a plan for you that God had back in Genesis. Glenn, there's a plan for you that God had back in Genesis. Claire, there's a plan for you that was made back in Genesis. It's incredible when you start to realise what a supernatural book and what a supernatural God we serve. The ram provided by God as a substitute for Isaac is a foreshadow of Jesus being provided as a substitute for us. Amazing. You know what? God, the perfect father, always had a plan to provide for us. He always had a plan to provide for us. So why do we doubt him? Why do we doubt him? And I'm talking to myself as well here. So often I'm like, I don't don't know if you've got this God. I don't know if you've got this under control. Of course he has. Nothing takes him by surprise. He knows what's going on. He knows what he is doing. But still we want to go, I'm not, I'm going to try and fix this one myself. I'm not sure if God's got this or not. Matthew 6, 25 and 26. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you, listen, this is about you now, are you not much more valuable than they? That's how God sees you today, as somebody of value. Whatever you think about yourself... God still sees you as valuable, whoever you are. He cares for you. He has a plan for you. And his plan to provide started back in Genesis. So why don't we see it? Because so often we look to the wrong places, don't we? We look to the wrong people. We read the wrong books. We listen to the wrong podcasts. You know, I don't know if I've ever mentioned it before, but I quite like guitars. I may have mentioned it, I can't remember once or twice and um, there is a point to this I'm not just telling you for no reason you know so I I struggle to walk past a guitar shop and not go in I just I can't help myself it's just one of them things and when I go in there's always some young lad in there sat down trying out a Les Paul through a Marshall rig trying to play Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses and doing it badly it's always the case is Tim here Tim 
Sweet child of mine, what fret do we start on? Oh, I love Tim, he's brilliant. We start on fret 11, and everybody knows that, because that album was recorded when Slash tuned his guitar down a semitone, so everything should start at 11 if you're playing on a normal tuned guitar. You all know that, don't you? What? Oh, come on, guys, get together. You should know this stuff. This is important. This is life skills I'm teaching you right now. And then... You go into a guitar shop and there's someone sat there playing it at fret 12. Isn't that annoying, Tim? They're playing it on fret 12, which is just wrong. It's so wrong. They're playing it and they're missing out that note, the one that's quite tricky to get in. They're always missing that out. Or they're playing it too fast. Or they're playing it too slow. Whatever. Or they're playing on the wrong guitar through the wrong rig. But here's the point to this. Do I then listen to what they're playing and go... Oh, no, no, I don't like that riff. I don't like Guns N' Roses. I don't like Sweet Child of Mine. That's not a good song. I'm not going to listen to it because what I have just heard there. No, the only way I'm going to know whether I enjoy that riff of that song is to go back to the original and listen to how it was supposed to be originally and not listen to what somebody else has done with it. But how many of us do that with God? It's like, I'm not sure about God. Why not? Because of what he said, because of what I saw over there, because of that church. No, forget all of that, because we're all imperfect and we all get it wrong all the time anyway. The only place you should be going to find out what God is like is Scripture. This is the thing that will tell you what God is, who God is, what he's done for you, what he's doing for you, and what he will do for you. So if you're not sure whether God provides or not, go to scripture because scripture will tell you clearly that he did provide, he does provide, and he will provide. Who, who said it was good? Thanks, Sam. Appreciate that, mate. I mean, it is your sermon, so you would say that, wouldn't you? Yeah. It's all right, this, Sam. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. I think I agree with most of it as well. Yeah. But I want to go back a little bit further, a bit, a bit further in Genesis. Let's go back to Genesis 2. All right, we're still talking about God's provision here. Genesis 2, 18. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Eve was provided for Adam. We all know this, don't we? Eve was provided for, for Adam. But sometimes we get that wrong and we think, well, what was Eve created for? Well, she was created for Adam to make his lunch and sew buttons on and stuff like that. That's, that's not what this is saying. There's so much more to it. If you're a female today and you think you were created to make lunch and sew buttons on, you've got it all wrong. There is so much more to females so much more to females than that. All the women are like, yeah, come on, Paul. Come on, you tell this man next to me how brilliant I am. Yeah. Genesis 2.18. It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for it. When we go back to the Hebrew, when we're in the Old Testament, you need to look at Hebrew. When you're in the New Testament, you need to go back to the Greek because sometimes the English that we read doesn't do it justice because it's obviously translated by people. But when you go back to the Hebrew, you see that the root of that word helper is not just helper, but the root word in Hebrew is etzer, which actually means an ally. Think about that, an ally, not just a helper, but an ally. How incredible. When you think about ally, you think about a world war. The allies came in and they saved the day. That's you, women. That's you. Do you feel good about that? Yeah, Ruth's definitely happy about that. Andrew's not going to hear the end of it all week, are you, Andrew? 
I'm an ally, listen to me. Yeah. And, and it also, when you look at the root words, and we all think, oh yeah, we're taken from Adam's rib, and then poof, there's a woman, off we go. But there's so much more to it, because it actually ascribes that to being built, that the woman was built from Adam. And when you think about something being built, that means there's a design. There's some forethought gone into it. There is a purpose in whatever it is that's being built. So, you know, humanity couldn't do the task set without the provision of the woman. Humanity couldn't do it without the provision of the women. Women specifically designed by God to save men and finish the job that men couldn't do alone. And you know, yeah, men have got quiet, it's weird, you know, and inside, God is called a helper many times with that same root word as used for the woman there, that same root word in Hebrews, that ally, the one that comes in to save, not just to come in and make lunch and sew buttons on, but has come in to save and be that assistance. You know, what God intended in the beginning was that men and women work perfectly together. There is a purpose in men and there is a purpose in women. And the world is distorting that view. The world is saying that you can be anyone that you want to be and be with anyone that you want to be. Well, that's not what scripture tells me. There's a purpose and there's a reason that men are like this and that women are like this. Women, you need men and men, you need women. We need each other to function properly within this world. And I'm not just talking about marriage. I'm talking about church. I'm talking about rearing children. I'm talking about every aspect of life it takes men and it takes women to get the job done so that was the second provision that we're looking at there that God provided the woman that man needed so God has been providing since Genesis and then the next one I want to look at God makes clothes for Adam and Eve from what from animal skin now why does he do this They have sinned. They've gone to the tree of naughtiness. Should we call it today? I don't know why I called it that. Let's go to the tree of naughtiness. And they've taken the fruit, whatever it was, and they've had a bite. They have disobeyed God. They have brought sin into the earth. They deserved death. That's what they deserved, death. They were guilty. But the death that occurred wasn't their own. But of two innocent animals that God made the clothes from, that became their substitutes. That's what God did for them. That's the provision that he did for them. What did they do? We looked at this a bit at Easter, if you remember. They tried to cover their own shame with fig leaves. It wasn't enough. And we often try and cover our own shame and our own mess-ups and our own mistakes with our own efforts. If I go to church more, if I read the Bible more, if I do more of this, if I give more, if I'm more generous, if I'm nicer, then maybe I'll be deserving of God's love. It's never enough. It's never enough. The only thing for them that was enough was that the animal's life was taken to cover their shame. The only thing that is enough for us is that Jesus' life was taken to cover our shame. And we try with our own fig leaves, but death was required for us to be righteous before God and be able to stand there and say, I am holy before God now. What an incredible God that he is. So when you read that about Adam and Eve, don't think, oh yeah, that's their story and it's a good one. It's not just their story. That's our story. That's us. God has been providing for us since Genesis. How incredible he is. And do you know what? Wherever you go in the Old Testament, 
it sets you on a route back to Jesus. Wherever you go, it sets you on a route back to Jesus because that's the most important thing when it comes to everything. And then the next provision, the last provision I want to look at, we know Adam and Eve's kids. What were they called? The first two? Cain and Abel. We all know that. And what happened? One killed the other. Cain got jealous of Abel's offering because God preferred it. So Cain killed Abel. Even after it said, look, look, sin is crouching at your door, ready to devour you. Don't make a bad choice, Cain. And he still made a bad choice. And he went and he killed his brother. How many of us have been in that position, not necessarily with murder, but we've been in that position where sin is crouching at our door, ushering us to make a bad choice. And we can see it. And we know that this is a bad choice. But it looks so much fun. This is a bad choice. This is going to destroy me. But it looks fun. Yeah, I'm going to go and have a bit of fun. How many of us have been there? I don't want a show of hands because let's be honest... It's all of us, at some point, we've made that decision. Even though we can see that sin is crouching at our door, ready to destroy us. And that's what happened with Cain. But God is such a gracious father that he told him that even though you've killed your brother, which there are consequences for, you're now banished, off you go, I'm still going to provide protection for you. He didn't deserve that. But God chose to do that anyway because he's a loving God. And he put a mark on him so that nobody would kill him. And they would know that if they did, they would be avenged sevenfold. That was for you, Ben. But what did he do? He decided that wasn't enough. That's not enough. I've got this mark of God on me. I've got God's provision. But I want more. He got married and he went and he built a city to protect himself. A city with a wall. That's how he thought he needed to protect himself. God's provision, God's protection, ah, that's not enough. I want to do it my way. And this is the first city we read about in scripture. But how often do we do the same thing? That God's like, here, this is what you need. This is enough for you. This is all you need. And we go, thank you very much, God. Actually, I would like a little bit more. So I'm going to go and do it my way as well and add to it. We've all done it, if we're honest, and we're not satisfied with what God has done for us, what he's doing through us, what he has given us for where we are in life right now. And that's something all of us need to learn, just to be satisfied in where God has placed us. So in women, God built something for man. Remember that word was built, he created with purpose. Someone was built for man. It was a perfect union. Cain built something for himself. This is where that selfishness comes in. Man's answer to the garden, the place that was perfect, Eden, where everything was great. Man's answer was, no, 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 not the garden. Let's go and build a city. This is what I want to do. This is my way. I want to do it my way. I think I can do better than God. And you know, when you look in scripture, especially in Psalms, the city is often called she, Lady Zion, Lady Jerusalem, Lady Babylon. It's there throughout Psalms. God's provision was that woman. But man wanted more than what God had given him. He was like, I want to build a city as well. I'm not happy with what God has given me. I want to build a city. I want to build an extension of God's provision. As though what God has given me is not enough. And when you read about cities in the Bible, they always lead to negativity. And I am going somewhere with this, this city analogy. Violence. Disorder. 
rebellion. If you look at the genealogy of Cain and you look where he led to, it leads to Noah. Now, one of Noah's sons, Ham, when you read where that goes from there, that lineage leads to Babylon. And if you keep going, we've got Sodom and we've got Gomorrah. And I'm sure we all know what happened there, don't we? So what do we learn from that? That actually man's efforts are never enough. Man's efforts are never a success. And that's a reflection of us today. Still, we can learn from Genesis and Exodus. Everywhere through the Bible, there is stuff for us to learn. The perfection, the the ideal that we started out with in Genesis wasn't a city. It was a garden with the woman. And it was good. And in fact, for the first part of that chapter, God's going, he created this, and that was good. He created this, and that was good. He created this, and that was good. Now we've got men and women together. Now it's very good. That word very gets added in at that point because that's what God thinks of you. Male or female, old or young, God thinks you are very, very good. God was happy with his design. He was happy with his provision. But it's us that have to have it our way and try and change things and mess things up and add a little bit in here and that and not be fully happy with the plan that God has got for us. So we have led from the garden into the city. But that's not the end. Because if it was, that'd be quite sad. We've messed up and now that's the end. Because God doesn't just do away with cities. What he does is he takes what's bad and he turns it to good. And how often do we see that in Scripture? Genesis 50, 20. Joseph stood with his brothers. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. God turned it around. God did something good with the bad that we all do. And then we get to Revelation, the other end of the Bible. So we've looked at the beginning and we can see that God was providing, God was providing, God was providing. So what happens when we go all the way through the Bible and we get to Revelation? Where does that take us? So we've got to the end of mankind in Revelation. Imagine this, Christ has gathered his church. Jesus has fought and won the final battle. He's fought and he's won the final battle with that countless army of angels behind him and defeated Satan forever. I can't wait to see that, whether I'm still here or in heaven. I can't wait to see how that pans out. It's going to be the best movie you have ever seen. It's going to be incredible. Satan's been defeated once and for all. And then you read in Revelation that there's a new heaven. There's a new earth. And a new Jerusalem? Wait a minute, a new Jerusalem. But isn't that a city? Isn't that where things went bad in the city? It started with a garden that was perfection. So why hasn't God just given us a new garden and done away with cities? And let's have a little look at this city. If you've got your Bible, which you should have because you're in church. Revelation 21. 9 through 27. I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to pick out a few bits. Verse 10. John's vision here, there's a great and high mountain and he showed me a great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Imagine this city, it's going to be incredible. Number, uh, verse 12, uh, with a great and high wall and 12 gates. Verse 18, the construction of its wall was of jasper. The city was pure gold like clear glass. 
The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, and it goes on. Uh, Verse 21, and the street of the city was pure gold. Again, transparent glass. Verse 23, the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. Because the glory of God illuminated it. What an incredible place this is going to be that we are going to dwell together in. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honour into it. There shall be no night there. There shall be no night. Nothing to fear. Nothing bad. Only good stuff there. Verse 27, and there shall be by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. A perfect city with nothing unclean in it, nothing bad, no jealousy, no pain, no tears, no anger, no upset, no disappointment, no letdown. All the things that we know are negative in this world, all gone forever. All the things that make you happy and joyous now, full of those, but in a level that we can't even put into words right now. A place where God will dwell with his people forever. No more evil, no more tears. A place of unimagined blessing and joy. I was going to say imagine that, but you can't because it's unimagined. An unimagined place of blessing and joy. Bigger than we can ever even imagine. That's the ending that God has for us. A city. God turns it all around. That's how incredible God is. God turns it all around for us. That's his provision right there in Revelation. It's his provision from Genesis right through to Revelation. God continues to provide. So what do we do about that now? In this life now, while we still are here on this earth, are we supposed to just sit back and go, yeah, I'm looking forward to this big city. It's going to be a good and uh, see you when we get there. No, God's still got a task for you and for me to do while we're here. Two things. He wants you to be content and to be proactive, to be content, and to be proactive. You know, God has been providing us since the beginning of time. He will continue to provide for us until the end of time. Not necessarily what we want, but everything we need, he has already done for us. So I'm saying to you today, learn to be content wherever you are right now. Be content in your job. Be content in your marriage. Be content in the body that you've got. Be content in the house you live. Be content with the gift and the calling that God has given you. You're not all called to stand here and preach. We're not all called to pastor churches. But we're all called to do something. And none of it is less or more important than than anything else. I couldn't do this, what I'm doing now, without you lot being here. It kind of would be pointless, wouldn't it? You know, but there's a place for all of us in Compass Church. There's something that we are supposed to be doing. And there's also a job we have to do when we go out, when we leave at the end of a Sunday. I remember going to one church and they had a big sign over the door, 
inside, as you're leaving, going, you are now entering your mission field. And it's so true. We can easily come to church and have a sing-along and listen to a sermon and rate it out of 10 and go home and go, that was lovely, and then just live the rest of our week the same as we lived last week and not allow what happened on Sunday to fuel us, to want to tell people about, do you know what? That's a very real Jesus. We are supposed to be proactive. And do you know what this Jesus I'm talking about? I love him. And I'm not ashamed to say that as a man, that I love him. And that is pure. And that is right. And it is proper the way it was supposed to be as God intended. Because it tells us there that the only people that are going to dwell in that city are those that are written in the Lamb's book of life. We need to be doing everything we can to get names added into that Lamb's Book of Life. Everywhere you go, everyone you speak to, that you're looking for an opportunity to go, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me invite you to church. Let me tell you what I was doing yesterday. Let me tell you about my small group last night. Let me tell you about Rachel and how she amazing she is. Let me tell you about all these people in my church that I love so much. Whatever it is, whatever the opening is for them to go, what, you sound a bit weird right now. Maybe I do. But do you know what? Jesus has got a plan for you in your life. People don't hear that every day. People don't hear that ever, if we're honest. But we can make sure people do hear that. It's not our responsibility for the results. Our responsibility is to plant the seeds, is to go out there and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. But I'm sure the Holy Spirit must look at us sometimes and be grieved that, oh, there's another opportunity missed. You could have said something there, you didn't. And I'm as guilty as the rest of us. But we need to make sure that that is our story, that that city that we are picturing at the end, that we are taking as many people with us as we can. Matthew 7, 13 to 14, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Anyone can find that wide gate, that narrow road requires us to guide them, to help them, to show them where that is. I'm going to ask the band to come back now. You know what? Throughout life, everyone is faced with endless crossroads. Come to things in your life where you have to make a decision and you can't just stay still. You've got to decide, which way am I going to go? And that's no different with our eternity. That's no different with how you feel about God and Jesus this morning. I don't know everybody here, but let me tell you, if you are not walking with Jesus this morning, if you don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you walked out of here and this was your last day on this planet, do you know where you're going to go? I can say I do. I know that I'm going to spend an eternity with Jesus. I hope it's not my last day. I just want to get to know some of you a bit more first. But the reality is it could be. None of us know... But do you know where you're going to go? Are you going to get to heaven? And is God going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Oh, well, nobody knows that. Actually, the Bible does tell us. Scripture does tell us that it's not about what you do. It's not about your acts. It's not about your works. It's not about how many times you go to church. But actually, it's about recognizing the fact that I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I've done things wrong. I can't do this life properly without God and saying, God, I'm sorry for the mistakes that I have made and I want to give it all to you right now. I want to make you the priority in my life. That's what Scripture calls us to do. That's what we are called to do. Since Genesis, 
God has provided everything for us to be saved from hell and to spend an eternity with him. So anyone that's going to hell is making their own decision to go there. That's not God's will for anybody. He has made a way for all of us. But it's our decision what we're going to do with that information. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. You've been listening to Faith So Simple. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you were blessed by today's discussion and learned something new that you can share with someone else. All music was written, performed, and recorded by me, your host, Joe Staines. If you have any questions about today's content or any other episode, please reach out to me at faithsosimple at gmail.com, and I'll do my best to get back to you, or I might even include your question in a future episode. And if you have a moment, why not help me out by leaving a review, following the show, sharing it with a friend, or all of the above? Once again, thank you for listening. This is your host, Joe Staines, signing off. God bless, and we'll see you next time.